0: And I would invite you this morning to turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. We're doing a few uh, individual sermons before we jump into our Christmas series. And as you turn to Exodus 33, I want to tell you uh, that uh, I felt used a few minutes earlier I picked up the phone in my dorm room in college to hear an unfamiliar voice, a girl's voice. She said, hi, is this Matt Barker? Well, yes, it is. Oh, good. She told me your name, and my heart started to beat a little faster. I knew who she was. She was cute. She was nice, and she was calling me. I need to go to the grocery store. Can I borrow your car? Yes. And very quickly after that, we were standing outside of my dorm room. It was fall. It was a beautiful day. It was was like a scene from a romantic comedy. And as I handed her my keys, she said, I really appreciate this. It's Fred's birthday today, and I'm going to make him dinner. (laughs) Oh, are, are you and Fred dating? Well, not yet. But after tonight, I'm hoping. I'll be back in about an hour. Thanks again. It hurts when people want your things, but they don't want you. This morning, our text takes the hurt of having someone want your things more than you, and it applies it to our relationship with Jesus by asking us a very powerful question. If Jesus gave you all the good things that he promised to give you, but didn't give you himself, Would you take that deal? As Christians, I hope we all want to love Jesus more than the things he gives us. But at the same time, I'm sure we all feel the weight of that question. If Jesus offered me heaven and eternal life, but without him there, would I say yes? That's the question we're going to meditate on this morning. But the good news is, is God doesn't ask that question as a way to hurt us or expose us as frauds. He asks us that question as a father who wants his children to learn to love him the way that he already loves us. Which is why he includes in our passage the way to grow in loving him more than we love the gifts that he gives to us. And my prayer this morning is that uh, our time together will help us both ask ourselves if we really do love Jesus more, than the things he gives us, but then also help us to grow in loving Jesus more than his things. And here's our roadmap this morning. It's on the the board there. We'll first look at why God felt used in our passage, then how God revealed who Israel loved more, and then finally, how we learn to love God more than his gifts. So let's read Exodus 33, 1 through 11, pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll begin our meditation a little bit more. God's word. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And thus, Father, reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning and that uh, through your Spirit and through the Word, which your Spirit has inspired and preserved for us, that you would reveal our hearts to us, that you would show us the depth and kind of love that we have for you, and that you would purify it for us this morning, uh, so that we would leave here loving you even more fully than we did when we entered, seeing your goodness and devoting ourselves to you. Father, may the words in my mouth as your preacher And may the meditation of all our hearts, as those called to hear and receive and respond to your word this morning, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The frustration you hear in God's opening speech to Moses doesn't come out of nowhere, which is good. Uh, There are people who seem to be constantly fuming about something, and some people— Even some Christians think that God is one of them. How many of us have a view of God that looks like a cross-armed, scowling, angry, muscle-bound man ready to stomp out all of us annoying little sinners? You won't all get this reference, but for our kids and our kids at heart, how many of us think that God is just a little bit like Thanos. So when we hear God tell Moses that Israel is a stiff-necked people that he would consume if he were to go with them, some think, yeah, that sounds right. Now, if God had responded that way after Israel had, I don't know, given him a bouquet of freshly picked flowers, uh, there might be some justification for thinking that way, but that is not what happened. Jesus is responding to what happened just a few days earlier, recorded for us back in chapter 32. It's a familiar story to some of us. Israel had finally arrived at Mount Sinai. God had come down and He'd seated Himself on top of the mountain as the divine King, in fire and cloud and in lightning and in thunder. And then God had set up Israel around in a circle around the mountain while Moses had been called to climb up to meet with God and receive the terms of the covenant, which would include the Ten Commandments and all the other uh, laws that we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I want the point of this meeting to be as clear to us as it was to Moses and to Israel, because it's central to what happens next. In the Bible, covenants with God are the way that God creates a relationship with us. Covenants define the way that God gives us himself, and they define the way that we give ourselves back to him. Which is why Jesus calls his sacrifice on the cross, the new covenant in my blood. Jesus defines our relationship by giving us himself in forgiveness and in committed friendship through his death on the cross. And then to reciprocate that friendship, he tells us that we can give ourselves back to him by simply believing that he died for my sins and by committing ourselves to following his word faithfully each day. Covenants define the way that we come together as God and his people. And that's why Jesus uses all kinds of relationships to help us think about what our covenant relationship with him is. The most famous relationship he uses is probably the way a king gives himself in protection to his people and the way his people submit themselves to his rule. Although, as I think about it, probably a more famous relationship analogy would be the way a married couple gives themselves exclusively to each other in a bond of committed, open, holy friendship. Speaking of friendly, God also talks about his covenant with us as a friendship, where we walk side by side, talking with each other, mourning together, laughing together, listening to each other. He also talks about our relationship as a family, where our Heavenly Father takes us, homeless, poor, orphaned, neglected, abused children, and adopts us as His children, in order to make us co-heirs with His eternally begotten Son, to the riches of his love and to the eternal splendors of his kingdom. Israel knows that this is what the covenant God is establishing is all about. Which is why the beginning of chapter 32 is such a shock. You can look at it with me if you want, but I'm going to read just the first verses of chapter 32 for you. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said up make us gods you shall go before us as for this moses the man who brought us up out of the land of egypt we do not know what has become of him my friends were told the people saw that moses was delayed and kids that means that moses was late late for what The point of Sinai is for God to give himself to Israel. They are at Sinai, surrounding the mountain where God has come down. And all the relationships that are contained in that covenant, king and people, husband and wife, father and children, friend, they are at that moment all being explained and defined so that they can live together in happy, holy communion so again, what are they late for? Late for what? Well, the answer is found in what they told Aaron to do. Up, make us gods who will go before us. And if we had read Exodus up to this point, that phrase, go before us, would be familiar to you. It is used by God to talk about the way that he goes up before his people In order to free them and give them the promised land. That phrase describes how God gives them some of the blessings of their relationship together, which, by the way, is not the same thing as God giving them Himself. Israel wants the money, she wants the house, she wants the car, and the family business. And now she wants it now, I want it now. Pastor Matt, that sounds a lot like Jesus' parable of the prodigal son who came to the dad and said, I want the money, the car, the house, and the family business. Give me the credit card, give me the check, cut me the money. I don't want you, I want the things. It does sound like that. And just like in the parable where the son takes the father's money and goes off to party, Israel, takes the golden bracelets, the earrings, the necklaces, the chains, the gifts that God had given them, symbolizing his love for them, and she gives them to Aaron, and Aaron makes an idol that looks like a golden calf, and then we're told at the end of verse 6, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Israel is excited to have a God who's going to give them all the things that they want right now. And this is why God is so frustrated in chapter 33. Basically, God was in the courthouse getting the marriage license set up, and his bride got bored, found a man with a Maserati, and said, hey, I have my future husband's credit card. Let's go party. What about your husband? Ah, I have the card. You have the Maserati. Let's go. Or, Dad, give me all your money. I don't want you. I just want the check. Now, if you were Jesus, what would you do? Well, if it was your fiance, I think you'd call off the wedding. If it was your friend, I think you'd say, Have a nice life. If it was your kids, like in the parable of the prodigal son, I think that's a little harder. But no one would be surprised if you said, I'm writing them out of my will. Since you only want my things, you don't get me or my things. Take that. I hope we're all glad that none of us is Jesus. Jesus. Because unlike us, his love is strong enough to endure the deepest betrayals. And it's powerful enough to actually pursue and accomplish our redemption. And that's what God does here. In our passage in chapter 33, in his righteous anger, Jesus sets out not to destroy Israel— but to help Israel see what she's just done by giving her the chance to get what she thinks she wants. Remember, Israel felt like she was late getting to the promised land. She was late getting to all the things. So Jesus tells her in the first verse of our passage, chapter 33, verse 1, I'll read it again. He says, Depart! Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying... To your offspring, I will give it. Jesus here is giving them the freedom to go and get what they want right now. And not just the freedom. He gives them the assurance that if they leave, they will actually get what they want. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. You can leave right now, Jesus says. And you can go and I will give you everything you want. You want to be famous fighters? I'll give you that. You want earthly security? I'll give you that. Wealth, comfort, a good job, a house in the best neighborhoods and the best schools? Fine. Uh, How about your favorite political party in power? Oh, and you want the party you don't like? Blast it off into space? Okay. No problem. But I will not go up among you. Would you take everything you want, no matter how ridiculous, but leave Jesus behind? That's the implied question. Now, the reason why Jesus would stay behind is very interesting. It's not, as we so often sort of assume, this raw anger. Notice what he says in verses 3 and verse 5. He says, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That phrase, consume you on the way, is not a great translation. Literally, the text says, but I will not go with you because I don't want to end our relationship on this journey. Because you are a stubborn people. And what God is saying is, you're a people who don't quickly repent or change their minds. Is he talking about us? Not us. You're a people who don't quickly repent or change their minds. And if we were to go on this journey together, and you keep wanting my things more than you want me, I am going to end up canceling our relationship. But I don't want that. I don't want there to be a canceled relationship, an annulment, a divorce, a dead friendship. I want there to be a relationship. I want you. So I'll stay here. And by staying here, I'll keep all the blessings of a relationship with me open to you. If you want me as your king, and as your husband, and as your friend, or as your father, pick your analogy. You can have me, but only by choosing me over my things. So what do you want? If you want earthly riches and peace without me, it's yours. But you have to leave me. And if you want me, you can have me, but you have to stay here and not have those things right away. What do you want? Me or my things? Given how often we see people choose their happiness over their spouses and their comfort and their entertainment over their children and their desire for wealth and fame over Jesus, we probably expect Israel to follow the same pattern and say, you know what? That sounds like a good deal. Let's go get it. You might even fearfully and secretly wonder if we would follow the same pattern if God were to descend on the mountain behind us and ask the same question to us. But Israel's response, I find to be such an encouragement because it shows us that God's people aren't always ridiculous, that people really can do and choose Jesus over things, and that God really does remain open to receiving us and giving us himself even when we've made a huge mess of it. Verses four through six. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you or I would end our relationship. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Here we see Israel realize the damage that they had done to their relationship with Jesus. We hear Israel mourn the possibility of life without God. And we witness her repentance when she surrenders the enjoyment of Jesus' things so that she could stay with Jesus. Israel makes the choice to not leave for places Jesus will not go or keep things that put a wall between ourselves and our Savior. She says, the most important thing, the most important person in my life is Christ. And I will not lose him for all the world, even for angels who are certain to go before me and give me everything I want. It's not worth it without Jesus. Now it's important to see how Israel pursued that choice because she doesn't just say the right words, she took actions, and not just immediate actions, long-term actions. And this matters to us because there are times when the choice between loving God and loving God's things is very stark, it's very clear like in our story, but there are also times when we are not as aware as we should be or would want to be that we're putting God's things in the place of God Himself. And the actions Israel takes here not only reveal repentance, they also help her to pursue long-term repentance and to protect them from re-entering into the sin. And in fact, uh, it's when this action of repentance stops that the problems restart. And that's all found in verses 7 through 11. Uh, The Bible is not written as a play or like a movie. It doesn't have stage directions, but all of you, kids, adults, it really does help to use the imaginations God has given you and try to picture in your mind what's going on, to see it. Verses 7 through 11 tell us that the tent of meeting was set far outside the main camp of Israel, which means that you'd be able to see it from wherever you were. Remember, they're circled around a mountain. So Moses put it in such a way where they could could all have a chance to see it. And every morning, Moses would walk through the camp to meet God there. And we're told that every day as Moses walked towards the tent, the people would open their tent doors, open up their houses, they'd step outside, and they'd watch him walk there. Not because Moses was so awesome, but because when Moses walked to the tent, God would come down and would stand at the door of the tent in a cloud of glory. I don't know what it looked like, but I sort of envision in my mind, you know, it's a white cloud with light and maybe lightning. Huge, it's a pillar. And as they watched God come down, the text tells us Israel would worship. And not only that, The text also tells us that Israel would take up God's invitation to follow behind Moses and meet with him. See, the way Israel devoted herself to God over God's things was by devoting herself anew to the worship of God alone, by choosing to stay with God rather than chase their desires by choosing to leave their home and travel to the place where Jesus would reveal himself so that they could see his glory and remember why the giver is so much better than the gifts he gives. Israel fills her eyes with a view of God. My friends, God gives us the same invitation today, and I know, I know, there is not a pillar of cloud behind me. I'm okay with that. I do not have the same constitution as Moses. I would not handle that super well. There's not thunder. There's not lightning. There's not fire. But there is a table which shows us that Jesus rejected all the good things of heaven in order to enter into a... Friendship of loving forgiveness with us. The glory of God, I think, is revealed in this table more than the pillar of cloud and fire because God's death and resurrection for sinners, for us, is revealed here. We have the Bible, which tells us over and over and over again that through Jesus we have God's forgiveness. And shows us over and over again God's goodness. The nature of our relationship with him and how we can reciprocate his love. And how easy that is to do. Believe in Jesus. Worship him with his people. Follow his word. Repent when you fail. Rinse, repeat. And then we also have the spirit and the people of God whose Very presence in our lives shows us that losing the world to gain Jesus is not a loss. Who help us to see that if we have everything but don't have Jesus, we have nothing. But that if we have Jesus and nothing, we still have everything because we have God Himself. That's what the Spirit and the congregation of God's people testify to us each week in our worship together. And this is one of the reasons why God has us meet weekly for worship, to see God and to receive him, to offer ourselves back to him and to learn how to love him the way that he loves us. So my friends, let's ask ourselves honestly, is there an area in our life where we like the gifts more than the giver? The answer is probably yes. I can think of some areas in my own life. Everyone's going to have them. This is not a new, our passage shows, this This is not a new issue in humanity. You're not the only one. But then recognize that God has provided a way to change that love. And let's commit ourselves to gathering before Him every week, to worshiping Him, to seeing His goodness so that we can learn the lesson that the Bible and the fellowship of the spirits and the saints and the table teach us, that Jesus chooses nothing over you, and he wants to help us choose nothing over him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we want to love you more than the things you give us. So please use our worship to both reveal to us if we have come to love the gifts more than the giver, and also to purify our love so that we would love you first and love you most. Uh, And in that light, please help us to help each other keep you at the center of our lives. And please let us be known as a church that loves you more than all things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.